Hi everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Supply Chain Talk. Uh, my name is Duncan Brock, a director here at the Chartered Institute of Procurement and Supply. I'm delighted to have the opportunity to yet again host uh, a, this really interesting episode of Supply Chain Talk. Uh, I've had a few weeks off. I've missed about three of these episodes, I think. So it's great to be back. It's great to have the opportunity to yet again tune in to the issues and the comments and the views that we've got around supply chain, the challenges that people are facing, and also some of the solutions that we wanted to take forward. I think last week, my colleague Ian uh, Scholar was the host, and he had a really good discussion around turning last mile delivery and fulfillment processes into a competitive advantage. I had a chance to watch that back uh, a couple of days ago, really good discussion, and actually some really good insights about why last mile delivery is a competitive advantage and uh, getting that right. And then today, we're going to focus on uh, green last mile delivery for a sustainable future. So again, looking at that whole focus of how do you get that last mile delivery right, not just from a comp competitive perspective, but actually we're going to concentrate a lot more about sustainability and trying to make sure that works effectively as a sustainable long, um, way of delivering that last mile delivery to people all over the world. We've got three great guests, really looking forward to the discussion with them about what their views, their insights, their perspectives are, um, and there's going to be a really good discussion around that. As you know, uh, those who watch Supply Chain Talk every week, um, we will have a, a news article first, and then we'll drop into the more specific discussions on the panel. Um, please do join in. Uh, we've got already people on chat, like uh, Eshwar. Welcome back again, Eshwar. Really good to see you again. Um, so if you are joining us live, please use the chat function to let us know who you are, where you're from. Um, but also, um, if you've got specific questions for our guests, use the Q&A. Uh, please put them in the Q&A tab, um, and I'll pick up the questions as we go through and make sure we have enough time to take the opportunity to share those uh, and get those questions asked by our ex excellent guests that we've got today. Uh, and Trudy, welcome to you again. Uh, great to see you there every week, as usual, which is great. Um, and Benjamin, I am looking hot, Benjamin. Thank you. It is very hot in, um, in England today. And I was just saying to, um, before we started, I mean, this lovely studio we've got in, in SIPS, which works really well, but doesn't seem to have any air conditioning or any way of actually keeping things uh, moving through the air. So there's a bit of sweat uh, coming off the brow today. So I'll see how we get on with that. Um, so um, let's, uh, let's, just before the last bit, to encourage you to join in, like Benjamin and, uh, and Trudy and Neshwa have, uh, we do have this wonderful Supply Chain Talk mug which uh, we do give out of, um, one of these every week to that person who has contributed the most, added the most views and comments in, or, or asked the best question uh, for us and the guests as we go through. So if you want to win the mug, please do add your comments and your thoughts on that as you go through. So let's, uh, let's kick off. Uh, let's bring our first guest in today. Our first guest is Wolfgang Lebacher. Uh, he is a supply chain and technology strategist. Uh, and he's joining us today, which is which is great. So uh, if Wolfgang, if you could join us on stage, that'd be brilliant. Um, and I think, um, welcome to you. Um, I know when we had a quick discussion yesterday, I can't remember where you said you were based at the moment, but um, I think you were, you were flitting around the world at the moment. So, so where, where are you from today, Wolfgang? Yeah, I'm, uh, hello, Duncan. Hello, everyone. Um, yeah, I'm uh, dialing in from Hong Kong. Um, okay. It's dark here. Um, and um, yeah, we have air condition here. Yeah, yeah and, and, and Hong Kong are used to humidity and the heat. It's just in England, we, we get surprised when it gets a bit hot, which is where we are today. So um, Wolfgang, just before we kick, we kick off the discussion, I mean, just I, I, I gave you a supply, your title as supply chain and technology strategist. What does that mean? What, what do you do? What's your, what's your role? Yeah, I'm uh, uh, advising larger companies. And in fact, on, on two aspects, um, mainly digital technology and uh, sustainability. That's my, my sweet spot. I'm um, sitting on a number of boards. I'm also working with uh, startups, um, for example, Hyperloop, which is also interesting from a technology and sustainability uh, point of view. And uh, yeah, what have I done before and what is it all built on? I have been in the industry for decades and was at the World Economic Forum and running businesses all over the world. That's great. Thank you. And therefore, you can bring a very broad perspective, I think, to these discussions, which will be excellent. Um, and maybe to kick this off then, Wolfgang. So the, the article that I think we wanted to talk about today was um, it's an article that's in Smart Cities Dive, I think it was a few weeks ago now. 
about five strategies to advance micromobility for urban last mile delivery. And I think uh, Spike Chandorf, um, Elf has just put that in the in the chat for those who are watching us live. But actually, it's a really interesting article. I think anyone should take the opportunity to read it because when you actually look at the article and you look at the content here, what it's saying is that unless we make improvements to that last mile delivery, I think there was some uh, quite worrying stats in here. They said like 78% growth in urban deliveries um, will lead to 36% more vehicles in the top 100 cities, a third more emissions. So without doing something the way that urban deliveries are going, we will continue to you know, raise the level of vehicles and, and emissions. But then I think he came up with a number of strategies, of, of, you know, almost recommendations for city leaders. I think what was interesting about making micro-mobility users safe, so actually those who are delivering uh, the last mile uh, or the last few yards, making them feel safe in the city, um, making sure that they can facilitate safe and easy pick-up and drop-offs. But then he did talk about policy, logistics hubs, testing and scaling ideas. And actually a couple of really good case studies in there on um, Toronto and on New York about what they've done to try and drive this forward. Um, so really good, I think, concept and an approach to what people should be doing. I'd be interested in your thoughts, Wolfgang, because you said you've you've got a quite a broad perspective here. Um, what do you think about the article? And do you think that organizations and, and cities and are approaching this in the right way? Yeah, I think uh, it's not a new topic. Um, and um, cities had had a long time to think about it and also are not new to the solutions. If we look at micro-mobility, for example, which is promoted a lot, um, if we think about the local post offices, we, we had that, right? Micro-mobility is about manpower and, and now also electricity-powered vehicles, small vehicles which can uh, be used on bike lanes and sidewalks. And uh, that's, that's what uh, the post is, in fact, known, known for. Um, but when, when the delivery companies came in, uh, the, and we know them all, the, the likes of UPS and FedEx and DHL, uh, then suddenly we had uh, the challenge of a lot of um, combustion engine, internal combustion engine powered vans in, on the streets. And uh, I think it took the cities a, a while to get their head around and, and got back to, to the concepts of micro-mobility. Although this didn't come also from, only from the cities, it came also from the, the operators themselves that looked for new solutions. And uh, yes, uh, it's very difficult to, to uh, make a general statement uh, a general statement whether the cities, and we have thousands in the world, uh, uh, approach this the right way. They are definitely front runners, and uh, some uh, are, are still more in the reflection uh, phase and more suffering than than acting. Right. I, 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 as I said there was a couple of good case studies. I mean, you say ones who are implementing it, people like Toronto, New York, and other um, cities. I mean. It, it needs a strategy, doesn't it? It's not just enough to say, oh, we want this to happen. It seems to be there was a real planning around roads, infrastructure, support, but also maybe compelling some organisations to change how they do that, that delivery, because otherwise, why, why change unless someone's actually going to drive that policy and that um, improvement that to the, to, you, know, you cannot deliver in the old ways. You've got to start delivering in a different way. Yeah, if you look at the stats, right, uh, we will in the next decade double the the number of uh, deliveries in uh, in cities, and this comes from from two trends: it's urbanization, uh, which is still going on, but it's also e-commerce. So yeah. to to handle that in the right way, um, cities need to change also regulation. Um, because if you think about micro-mobility, it's not only about the vehicles. It's about having also micro-stations, uh, micro-depots, as the experts call it, where parcels can be delivered during the night, for example. So you have to have the right to enter the city during the night. You have to uh, 
uh, have the right to sort material in the night and you need the locations. And uh, as we all know, um, city locations are expensive and the, the delivery of parcel is a, is a very competitive low margin business. So cities need to help the operators uh, to uh, find those spaces and, and maybe subsidize those spaces. What, what comes a little bit as a tailwind is that e-commerce has reduced uh, the retail, the high street as we know it, which in fact freed uh, some of the space. But is this space the right space? Is it, is it affordable? Uh, that's a different question. Yeah, and... Um... But at least as you're saying, you know, someone needs to drive that forward. I was really interested in your comment at the beginning, Wolfgang, about, you know, people used to do it in the post, you know, um, in the old days, you know, everything used to be consolidated through the postman. You know, and actually, I suppose if you look at that, that was a way of delivering to a hub and then one, one person doing all the delivery to the, the location. And I suppose to a certain extent, Getting if that, if you could return to that, that would be the perfect solution, but it's unlikely to happen, as you say, in a very competitive market that everyone's in at the moment. Yeah, in fact, the post office had had this privilege. If we look where the the offices were, uh, they were in prime locations, right? And posts were state owned, so in fact, the state had this this space and and used it. Uh, for, for the benefit of the business and the citizens, right? Maybe we have to, to rethink our, our model and, and also uh, support the businesses. But there is also a, a new dimension to it. Uh, and that's the whole digital uh, capabilities which we have at hand, uh, which in fact allow to monitor and uh, to manage inventories and flows in a, in a very different way. And that's also a space where uh, the, the city governments have to be active and have to ensure that uh, the coverage is there, that uh, uh, the, the tools, the apps, etc., cetera, uh, can be used and this without, uh, let's say, blind spots and gaps. Yeah. And, and that probably, uh, I'm going to one of the first questions that's come in from Ashley, Ashley Francis Privetira. I think, welcome to you, Ashley. It says, how do we get the cities to change their regulations? Because um, what, what do you suppose places should do if they're simply not supported properly by their government-appointed officials? So I suppose you know, that, that links to what you're saying there, is that actually cities do need to drive the change through. But what happens if, uh, you said, I think, earlier on that, some are leading on this and some are still observing it and trying to think about it. So, you know, is, is there a way of driving this through or, or do we use the, the climate change initiative and the, the commitments that people are making to, to, to basically hold these regulators to account? I think there needs to be some kind of pressure uh, because uh, on the one hand, and, and I think this is a very important point to keep in mind, City governments have more power than state and federal governments. Because a mayor has much more space and autonomy to make decisions than probably the president, right? It's, it's, his, it's his or her kingdom. Uh, so that's the one side. So in fact, uh, cities can move faster than countries, just as a, as a matter of fact. On the other hand, we have a lot of legacy regulation and we have a lot of bureaucracy in many cities. So we have a lot of agencies, city agencies. And I, I have a case, um, which is a European case where somebody wanted to set up a night operation. So deliver into a site in during the night. And it took that company uh, one year and 11 approvals. So 11 agencies had to approve. So I think we need, what, what cities need to do is, is to cut through their, through their own red tape and say, okay, if we really want this, we have to give priority uh, to organizing our, our flows of goods in our city. Right. Yeah, definitely. 
So, so um, Wolfgang, thank you for that. I, I'm, I'm going to bring a couple of other guests in now um, to sort of add a bit more to this discussion, and we can build on some of these comments that, that uh, we've made already. So I'd like to bring in uh, Garrick Lager, who's the logistics manager at SwagUp, and also uh, Steve Horniak, who's the chief revenue officer at Brightdrop. So welcome, welcome to both of you. Uh, thanks for joining us today. Um, let's do quick intros first. So, Garrett, over to you first. Quick intro for you and SwagUp. What, what is SwagUp? Sure. So I'm the logistics manager at SwagUp, and we specialize in company swag. So, you know, custom branded merchandise. And I've been the logistics manager there for about a year now. And we do specialize in, you know, deliveries direct to residential uh, individuals. So this is certainly, you know, uh, a topic of discussion, you know, with customer behaviors and sustainability is, you know, a big importance to people these days. That's great. Thank you. And, and where are you based, Garrett? Currently in Portland, Oregon. Okay. So we've got Hong Kong and we've got Portland. Um, so, and Steve, over to you. Quick intro from yourself. Hey, good morning. Steve Hornyak. Uh, Chief Revenue Officer with uh, Bright Shop. And Bright Shop is fundamentally rethinking first to last mile mobility and movement of products through our integrated electrified zero emission platform, ranging from electric light commercial vehicles to micro mobility platforms and all the software that binds it together. Uh, we are a wholly owned subsidiary of General Motors, which allows us for global scale. Um, and access to capital and platform. We are built on the Altium platform from General Motors, um, but also being able to move incredibly fast and nimble in the market. In fact, uh, company is only 18 months old. Uh, we've already launched um, several, several of our products. We've got FedEx on board with production vehicles out in the field today and moving into large-scale production before the end of the year out of our plant in Cami, uh, or in Ingersoll, Canada, uh, the Cami plant. That's great. Thank you. And, and, and I'm in Atlanta. I'm in Atlanta, Georgia. Okay. Very, very good. Thank you. And, and I think, uh, Steve, just, just on that, I mean, maybe sort of coming back to this, where, where we started the discussion with Wolfgang, you know, what you just described there was very much, you know, some of the initiatives that you, you were driving forward on. But it, is, it, is that in response to this sort of market and, the, and this drive that the cities have got and the, the need to drive that sort of... Um, change in urban last mile delivery? I mean, is, is that really what, what you're responding to? It is. And if you look at our parent company and their, their kind of uh, their foundation of zero emissions, zero crashes, zero congestion, it fits in perfect with the last mile and product movement, uh, particularly in congested city areas. Uh, as you said before, 37% projected increase in vehicles, about 150 billion packages are going to be delivered this year. If you think about the emissions that are being brought close to our homes and the congestion, that market is absolutely perfect application for uh, electric vehicles. You have known set paths, known set routes, uh, and also in an environment where you have a lot of people, removing all those tailpipe emissions are, are absolutely critical. So as part of the entire movement to zero emissions, the movement to being um, uh, environmentally uh, friendly and sustainability, um, it was how Bright Drop was born within General Motors and then spun out to a wholly owned subsidiary. Uh, so that's where we're focusing. We've got tremendous traction with uh, with execution, live products, uh, FedEx being a launch partner with us and seeing tremendous advantages in the cities, both from our uh, Zevo light uh, commercial vehicle, as well as our Trace uh, e-cart, which actually bifurcates the process between product de uh, delivery and then the, the last hundred yards. So in other words, the last mile and then last hundred yards and actually um, uh, minimizes the number of vehicles that you need in cities by bifurcating that process into two. And, and are you seeing certain cities, uh, you know, I suppose, taking this on as an initiative more than others? Because that's where you know, we were at with Wolfgang, wasn't it? There's some embracing this and wanting to drive it forward and others. And I've already seen some comments in the chat about, Oh, that's very well, very well for US market, but what about India? What about Sri Lanka? What about some of the other markets here? So, I mean, are you seeing certain, uh, I suppose, leading cities which are really embracing this and taking it forward? Uh, we are. And right now, we are focused on North America. Obviously, we're part of a global company. So, we're looking at Europe and other areas for you know future expansion and opportunity. Uh, but with a focus in North America now, we are seeing. Um, I'll say most major cities are either embracing or in active learning mode. So we're doing a lot of education with folks about what we're doing, the benefits of what we're doing, 
why they shouldn't be concerned about having electrified carts on their, you know, on their sidewalks, uh, because it's actually going to reduce the amount of emissions and increase, increase efficiency and reduce congestion. Uh, we're also seeing areas where we're operating, uh, obviously, with our, with our production facility up in Canada, uh, Toronto embracing this as well, you know, and, and Canada is leaning very much forward uh, relative to electrification, zero emissions and micro mobility platforms in cities. But across the board in the in the cities right now, you know, kind of the coasts are the ones that are moving first and then we'll and then move inward from there. Right. Very good. And, and Garrett, bringing you in here, I mean, as you said, you, you're logistics manager for, for SwagUp. I mean, looking at what you do and looking at what your company does and, and the approach there i mean what, what's your take on i suppose this, this article about what, what's what needs to happen and, and what how you're how are you seeing that manifest itself in what you and your organization needs to do sure so i mean i think you know it's it's certainly important that you know the regulations are updated and that changes and you know the cities push it and the governments you know subsidize where necessary but a lot of it also falls on you know the consumer and them voting with their wallet so I think it's, you know, we have sustainable swag products, for instance, you know, that companies look for. And I think the next logical step is great. Well, I bought a sustainable product, but how does that get to me in a sustainable manner? Right. So I think a lot of that is going to be driven by, you know, just educating the customer as to, you know, the increase in emissions and kind of the impact that, you know, this final mile delivery can really have on, you know, overall emissions and putting that option out there and allowing customers to, you know, vote with their wallets. So I think a lot of it is, yes, you know, policies and politics need to change, but part of that is the constituents also need to push for those changes. Yeah, and, and I've just seen a comment in from Benjamin Davies is about, says it's, you know, competitive market, high volume, low margin. Um, and as he said, you know, last week in, the, in supply chain talk, you know, consumers aren't yet ready to choose sustainability over speed. Um, I mean, did, you know, I suppose in effect, that's what you're saying is that, you know, the, the wallets will talk and people will, they, they, if they were going to invest in a sustainable product, but they also, are they willing to wait for a bit longer to have it delivered in a sustainable way? Or yeah, I suppose the other I mean, way I around is how, how do you then get the sustainable delivery also at the same pace that yeah. you would get if one van drove up and dropped it off at your front door? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, part of that is having, you know, some of those micro fulfillment sites, you know, like, uh, like Wolfgang was talking about, you know, utilizing like the post office or some freed up real retail spaces, uh, you know, getting the product just closer to that end customer, I think, you know, helps kind of solve some of those delays. Uh, but also, you know, one of the, you know, effects of the pandemic is really there's been a lot of, you know, news and focus on supply chains for better or worse. Uh, and I think that's kind of put it more in the forefront of consumers' minds that they typically haven't thought about. You know, so I think it's, you know, they may not consider yet, hey, if I overnight a package or if I wait two or three days, you know, what, what's the environmental impact that I have on that? And I think it's part of that is just education. And, and, and it's educating people in a way that means something to them, doesn't it? And I suppose that's how, you know, often this is how do you land that so that people can make that considered decision at the time? Because at the moment, it's just get it now or wait, wait three days and we all go, we'll get it now. You know? and, uh, yeah, and instant gratification is an issue. <laughs> yeah. And, and Steve, you, what, you, what was the stat you just said earlier? Well, 150 billion packages, was that what you said, have been delivered? 150 billion packages will be delivered this year. In fact, FedEx has already delivered over 100 million uh, a day uh, in 2022. So wow. if you think about the volume of packages moving, it's tremendous. I, I want to come back to one point you said before on low margin and slim margins. So what's awesome about the move to electrification uh, for light commercial vehicles in the delivery space specifically is the fact that not only is it good for the environment, uh, but it's good for your P&L and, and ultimately good for your balance sheet. So uh, while people will say, well, hey, electric vehicles are more expensive. I'm like, well, no, actually, they're free. Just You just have to use them for four years, um, particularly in today's economic environment where the price of fuel has skyrocketed. And even though the price of electricity has gone up, you are looking um, at estimated cost savings uh, of operating costs, again, between less maintenance costs as well as less fuel costs. Um, well in excess of $10,000, in fact, in many situations, in excess of $15,000 per year per vehicle. So again, if you look at it, these, uh, moving to electric uh, is absolutely good for your balance sheet, good for your P&L, as well as good for the environment. 
So that's the sales pitch. So we get that, Steve. No, it's, seriously, you know, it's, it's, I mean, you, you, your organization is clearly pushing that. And, it, and, it, and it's a really important initiative. Uh, so, so apologies for that. But, but I mean, it, yeah, we all see that as part of the solution. Uh, and I'm just going to bring in a slight different comment that I've just seen up from uh, Imanalula uh, Mahami, I think it is. Um, he says, electric cars, electrification, what about the e-waste and the used batteries that are an outcome of the process? So I suppose linking that all the way through, there is always that. And so what? You know, we all believe electric cars are absolutely vital. And certainly when we talk about cities and the, the delivery there, but there's always that consequence of that circular economy and actually what happens off the back of that. So I'd be interested in all your thoughts on that, actually, guys, because you know, it, it's a very interesting um, balance that I think we're all facing at the moment. Yeah, I think it's important to look at the life cycle analysis. So what is the, the impact uh, from, let's say, the mining of, of things and then the building of things and the operating, uh, etc., and then uh, the repurposing. So I, I, I believe that uh, we have some challenges, but we will get around the, the waste challenge if we really want to. And, and batteries is not a new topic. Uh, the, the traditional uh, batteries has probably one of the best uh, circular economy systems in the world, which have ever been, been uh, uh, created because of the hazard nature, right? But uh, yeah, we, we need to focus uh, on, on the entire process, uh, but it's, we, we focus very much on, on electric vehicles, but it's also bikes, right? Yeah. It's also walking couriers, right? So, so it's not, that's not the, the only aspect to it. And Steve also can, can talk about that in the, the, the last, last mile, right? Which is uh, not, not that, that well powered and doesn't need to be. Exactly. I think if uh, just kind of coming on the tail of that is that I absolutely understand um, that that the concept of what's going to happen with these batteries at the tail end. Now, a couple of things. One is we looked at the Altium platform that we're leveraging and we're seeing that um, 10 plus years is what we're estimating right now based on standard usage of that. Which typically in the world of like commercial vehicles for delivery is longer than the life of the vehicle itself. So obviously, um, repurposing that battery, uh, which is still going to have significant life yet, is paramount to what we're doing. And the fact that we are on the same platform that all GM vehicles are going to be on or on and are on now um, is they're going to have a consistent way of recycling the cells. So it's really kind of it's not a, just one giant battery; it's an amalgamation of, of, of micro cells. And those microcells can then be taken apart and reassembled um, to various different uses out there, whether it be recharging stations or other mobility platforms. Uh, all of that's in process. And we've got a dedicated team uh, through our parent company, General Motors, um, that is working on that um, and, and already has plans in place, even though it's well into the future when it'll be needed. All right. I, I, yeah, I, I mean, Garrett, just just your thoughts on that because, I mean, as you say, it's it, it's a sustainable product, but actually, it's then the the delivery and all the aspects associated. So, what's, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think you know, electric vehicles are not all sunshine and rainbows, right? There are some impacts to the mining of you know the the different minerals that you need. Um, so, I think yeah, it's it's important to consider that. I think it's important to consider the communities that are impacted by those mines. You know, typically those are indigenous, you know, local populations that are impacted uh, by those operations. Uh, I think it's also, you know, critical that electric, it, it's not all or nothing, right? You know, electric can be one of the tools in the toolbox. You can have, you know, uh, manpower like bicycles, you know, hydrogen power, I think is still something that's a, a potential option. So I think, you know, right now, uh, you know, electrification is a great option, but I don't think, you know, it, it's the silver bullet that's going to fix all our problems. And, and Wolfgang, just come back to your comment there about, you know, there, there are other solutions like bikes and people walking in the good old fashioned ways that they used to. I mean, it's, I suppose if you're looking at optimizing this whole solution, you've got to look at the whole breadth of, of, of different options for, for different cities, but also different, um, back to Garrett's point, you know, different environments that people are operating in where, you know, roads maybe not be the best and electric you know, infrastructure isn't there. And you're going to have to look at these different solutions as well, aren't you? 
Yeah, and uh, that brings me back to the whole platform, right? The digital side to it. To optimize and, and choose the right mode of delivery, um, you need to have a high level of, of visibility, right? And you need to have intelligence uh, behind that. But uh, so I, I, I think that uh, there is no silver bullet. So I agree totally with Garrett. Um, Electric, electric vehicles are a big part of the mix currently and probably will, will be. But there are other things. There are also drones, right? So, um, um, and, and the drone uh, story, which has been promoted by Jeff Bezos in 2013, and we are 10 years now down the road, and it's still not there. But uh, uh, in California, Amazon will uh, start testing drone deliveries, and uh, that's in Lockford. Uh, and that will probably happen happen this year. And you heard about Walmart, and you see it in India. When we speak about India, you see it in China. Uh, so, and this is also electric. But now I want to preempt another another comment which could come. Uh, and uh, I think we touched several times on the fact that we are talking about a system solution. This is not just a vehicle or a person delivering something or a micro. Uh, distribution center. We have a very complex system of a city, and uh, the, the, the question I want to preempt and where we need also a lot of support is the energy sector, because uh, we have electricity, but electricity is not clean per se. It is clean when it is produced in a clean way. And I, I see a massive uh, task in the uh, energy sector uh, to um, provide this clean electricity because the transportation industry can only get that far. Uh, and, and then you know, we bring this into total macroeconomic sort of challenging debate on that basis, Wolfgang, but I think we'd all agree with you. Uh, and actually, uh, there is a question here from, from Eshwar about, uh, and probably build on that, you know, what, sort, what kind of planning is required and investment in infrastructure to support that whole system. So when you're talking about the system, and Steve, you're talking about you know the electric cars that's needed and the the infrastructure to surround it. I mean, the, the, there is investment, government investment, presumably in countries needed in the infrastructure to, to support this sustainable delivery model. You know, and, and you know what 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 factors are in there? Wolfgang, you mentioned one, which is green electric electricity which is one but what, what what other investments do we think are needed in that space yeah I, very briefly and then I let the others so, so to comment uh, infrastructure is very important um, I, I there there are number a number of, of examples that when you have a hundred electric vehicles uh, you might be able to influence the grid right so, so you bring the grid down at a logistic site Right, we are. There is a case study from from UPS uh, about a London station that wanted to introduce uh, electric vehicles and realized that the building has not the infrastructure to to power that. And there, we we do, we don't need only to think about systems. We also need to have a collaborative approach. UPS made that happen. So they, they purchased, they changed the infrastructure, but to, to make that economically viable, it were the three party, the energy provider who took a part of the investment, UPS took a part of the investment, and the City of London, if I remember, or the UK government. So so we need also to to factor in that we that there are completely new approaches and thinking required. So uh, you may have some surprises down the road you have to deal with. So, Steve, Garrett, do you want to build on that? <clears throat> yeah, I'll, I'll jump in. The infrastructure is absolutely paramount importance in order to roll out uh, electric vehicles in mass. And, you know, from that perspective, uh, again, some of the things we're doing, the first vehicle that we have brought out is uh, is our maximum range vehicle. In fact, it, it actually set a world record for the longest package delivery at over 250 miles on a single charge. Uh, 
why do we do that? Well, we did it because uh, we, you might not have to charge it every day. In fact, you could maybe charge it every two or three days, allowing you, in essence, to deploy two or three times as many EVs while the infrastructure catches up. So um, we're doing that. We're also uh, consulting with, and we've got a, a group internal, both at Brightshop and our parent company, General Motors, with some of the largest in infrastructure companies on the planet that we partnered with in order to help accelerate bringing infrastructure to our key customers out there as they look to roll it out. Uh, we also are working with uh, the government agencies and, and they're very supportive in the U.S., as you know, with electrification. So we just need to get them to move with speed and precision um, to uh, knock down the barriers to permitting and the barriers to being able to put in additional infrastructure. We see the momentum building. Uh, where 23 is it really going to be a, I'll call it a breakthrough year in getting core infrastructure in major cities and then 24 capitalizing on that uh, and expanding on that for more of a national rollout. And then 25 having a significant amount of what's needed nationally at all, what I'll call the football cities or major hubs in place. That sounds really, really good sort of long-term planning, which, which is needed in this space as well. So and Gareth, what's your, what's your thoughts on this? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I definitely you know agree that it's going to take a lot of you know public and private partnerships, right? You know, it's not just going to be one company that solves it or one city or you know um, you know one state. So you know, to Wolfgang's point, you know, you need the you need to have the clean energy generation to begin with for the electricity, and then you got to have the infrastructure built out. You know, it's it's really going to take every you know person involved, uh, every organization, and um, to really make it happen to to get the change that we need. Yeah, and, and and I think you know it's echoing some of the questions I'm seeing coming through on the on the questions as well about partnership, collaboration, knowledge sharing. You know, and Steve, I mean, you've already talked about working with FedEx and Wolfgang. You talk about UPS. I mean, fundamentally, you did, not one organisation can do this by themselves, can they? I mean, this really is about talking about the best cases, talking about the case studies, sharing best practices everyone learning from each other as everyone's trying to work out what the right model is here as it goes forward. Um, are you seeing that collaboration being done openly? Because, you know, back to the earlier comments, we're also in very competitive times, very competitive markets. Everyone's sort of fighting to get their share of there. So it's always that balance between a collaborative partnership arrangement and a, a competitive supply chain environment that people are operating in. So, are you seeing that people are open to collaboration and partnership at the moment? I would say I'm seeing co-opetition. So they're okay. cooperating and competing. So there's definitely co-opetition out there today. Um, but there's also some moves that are being made where people are trying to block certain of, of their competitors out uh, of certain technologies and or certain markets by making first moves. So. Um, it, it's going to be interesting. The other thing that we're seeing out there is massive disruption in last mile where companies are looking at vertically integrating. So Walmart, uh, another one of our customers, they're, they're absolutely looking at vertically integrating um, by building their own electric fleet and, uh, and doing a lot of their own deliveries versus um, uh, leaning on or, or requiring the use of third parties. So they're taking that uh, under their control. And we're seeing that with others as well where they're pulling it in house. So the whole, you know, as this market grows, it's growing at the size of the market for everyone. But a lot of the big players are vertically integrating more than what people might expect with owning the supply chain all the way through to the door or from, or from an RDC regional distribution center, distribution center to the stores owning that themselves. Right. Yeah, well, I, I think that um, the cities have a big role to play. If you really want to have that collaboration, uh, the cities have to provide the context for that and have to, to help to, to facilitate. And, and to your point, Steve, we, we want competition, right? We, we don't want to have a, a socialist planning approach to it and, and put the, the, the capitalist element out of it. I, I think that's a healthy, healthy mix to have strong collaboration on the sustainability side or the environmental side, but still be, uh, be competitors on, on the business side. I think the two are not, not exclusive. They, they need to, to come together. Um, that's my thought. 
Yeah, I think, you know, one of the issues that we see as well is, you know, governments are divided, right? You know, it's it's not the governments or the cities, you know, whatever level of government, they're not all pushing in the same direction, right? They're, they're going in two different directions. Uh, so I think, you know, at, at some point we need them to come to an alignment of, you know, like, yes, we want to move forward with the electrification uh, and some of these initiatives to really have that momentum. And I think the momentum is building, but I don't think we're there yet. Yeah. And I know based on the audience we've got, there's there's quite a few questions coming in about, you know, supporting Middle East, I suppose, Africa, developing countries on this, because, of the you know, that, that's a lot about, you know, the sharing of technology, the, the best case scenarios. And actually, there's there's one interesting question about uh, the use of solar, um, solar panels and solar power, you know, as, as being a solution in Africa and the Middle East. Uh, where maybe the infrastructure isn't there for some of the, the things we described here. So I'd be interested in, in you know, whether or not you think that that, again, is a way forward, that there actually there will be, is the technology there, but also will that be part of the solution for those parts of the world where clearly the infrastructure isn't yet in place? Yeah, I think, I think that uh, this is a very, very good point. Um, I, I think that the, the, the emerging markets and the developing countries are not that much focused on the topic yet because they have other, a lot of other issues to solve. Uh, on the other hand, if you see what is happening in Egypt, for example, uh, because of solar and the whole trend into renewables, of course, these countries uh, can establish themselves as renewable energy hubs. And uh, that's a big opportunity. And then build uh, based on that also their, their transport sector, including the last mile. Um, Steve, is that on your radar in terms of um, part of the development roadmap that the Bright Drop are going to be following with, with General Motors? Um, yeah, if, if you look at, let's say from a charging standpoint, it's already in place. So we even have partners now that are using solar as part of the charging infrastructure out there. And I think what's uh, what's inhibiting it right now, to be quite honest with you, is, is cost. So the cost from a solar standpoint is still a little, a little bit higher than, I'll uh, call it a traditional, putting in a traditional infrastructure in place. But I do think that that will change over time and it'll definitely be um a blended part of the overall infrastructure uh solution so it's going to be an and not an or when you look at infrastructure there's going to be a lot of different pieces of infrastructure that are put in place a lot of different technologies and it's going to evolve and change over time uh, and that's a good thing that's okay yeah yeah I, and and i think you know the one thing i've learned from this or from this discussion or from others i've had on this is actually everyone is learning all the time you know the different things moving at different paces, different dynamics, uh, and that'll drive the pace at which some of these things move, both either from a government perspective, but also consumer behavior. You know, that would also drive this in a different way as, as we go forward. But I, but I would say with, with change, sometimes that scares people, Duncan, when people say, well, there's going to be a lot of change. I want to wait and see what happens. Um, but this is a tornado of change happening, right? There's evolutions, revolu revolutions, transformations that we go through. So this is a transformation in the space of mobility uh, and movement from internal combustion to electrification. Uh, it's finally there. It's been coming a long time. There's been kind of hints of it happening. Uh, but the last time we had such a move, we were actually feeding uh, hay to our engines. So this is actually a tectonic um, shift. And what I tell people all the time, this is a tornado change happening. And you definitely want to be strapping on your helmet, riding that tornado, because uh, it's going to be a fun ride to the top. You don't want to be on the sidelines with messed up hair. And maybe my thought from my side, very briefly on, on your point, that the costs are not yet there. But we depend on the companies that are uh, courageous enough to to go their pioneer route, right? Otherwise, we will not get the prices down. So there is, there is that catch-22. Uh, but I see that happening. There, there are more and more efforts and also alliances and collaboration, uh, maybe not on the last mile that much, but if you look at what is happening in the shipping sector, uh, the shipping lines are now pushing, pushing uh, for methods. And all. Uh, so there are there are efforts, although the costs are not yet there. But we have to to start at at one point. 
and I, I agree with you, the momentum is building up. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, Garrett, just bringing you in there, I mean, you, you, when you kicked off and talked about Swag Up, you know, the sustainable products are there. There's a, there's a drive towards that. But I think one of the questions, another question that came in from Ashley was probably also just sort of, I suppose, questioning behaviour. You know, that at the end of the day, can you balance that sort of sustainable product and getting it there at the right time when actually it's going to cost a bit more and it'll take a bit longer? You know, that actually, yeah, how, 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 from a strategy perspective, how do you balance that push for sustainability with cost and in some cases a longer lead time and a longer supply chain? Yeah, I think, you know, again, it's yes, the, you know, to Steve's point, you know, the costs are still a little higher, but, you know, think of how, you know, drastically it's come down over the last few years, right? Like it's, we're getting to that point, you know, to where the the costs are going to start to kind of become a little more equal. Uh, and then it's, you know, okay, so we solve for that problem. And then again, if you can get the product just closer to the end consumer by utilizing, you know, like Best Buy, utilizing their existing stores, you know, as then a fulfillment center. Uh, things of that nature. So, you know, and then uh, honestly, I think consumer behavior is going to have to likely adjust a little too. You know, I think consumers are going to have to accept that, you know, maybe the Amazon ways, the pushing for same day delivery is not, you know, reasonable to also have that sustainability. You know, we may not be able to have everything uh, that we want and we may have to have some trade-offs in the process. I think ultimately the, you know, bigger benefit uh, is worth it. But I think it's, you know, kind of a shift in culture and a shift in expectations. And again, I think, you know, we all kind of see that happening. And I think, you know, especially like you guys in the UK right now experiencing, you know, some of the hottest temperatures on record, things like that are definitely going to be in people's minds, you know, more as they personally experience some of these things of, you know, hey, maybe I should opt for the more sustainable choice because, you know, I don't feel like, you know, sweltering in my house. So I think, you know, it's it's all kind of pushing people in the right mindset to make that change. But, but the unit economics on a per product movement uh, uh, using electric vehicles is actually less than using ice vehicles. So if you do amortization depreciation of the vehicle over time, you factor into your repair costs, you factor into your cost of fuel. It's actually cheaper to use electric vehicles. Now, a couple other things too is as you move forward in this next age, we we actually with our micro mobility platform showed that with FedEx in high dense areas by bifurcating the process between truck movement and micro mobility platform movement for the last hundred yards or quarter mile, that each person uh, was able to move approximately twenty five percent more packages the same day, uh, which is a tremendous efficiency um, increase. In addition to that, they actually used less vehicles to get products into market because the vehicles were being more efficient. So they're bifurcating that drive, drop off, and go replenish and come back to the field perspective. So I think from a cost standpoint, you know, it's the drivers are there to do it. I think right now it's an infrastructure change management and a rollout uh, that we are working with um, the major players out there. Right. No, really, really, really good point, Steve. And I think it, it sort of covers that aspect of, you know, some of it's consumer choice, but some of it you're saying is actually the economics are there for businesses to make the right decisions. Um, and actually, you know, your point about, you know, climate change is happening. You know, everyone is recognises they need to do something. I think, Wolfgang, your point was, but sometimes someone needs to move first. You know, we can all sit back and wait for someone else to do it and then see if it worked or not. But actually, in the, in the environment everyone's in at the moment, people need to keep pushing this forward. And, and there is a real desire, I think, for, for organisations to take that leap and do do it first rather than waiting and seeing what, let me, let me have a few case studies and see whether or not it's actually proved to be correct or not. It's your classic technology adoption lifecycle, Duncan, right? Yeah. So Jeffrey Moore lays it out where you've got innovators, early adopters, transitioning over the, the chasm into the early majority, late majority, and then laggards. And in this last mile delivery, it's a majority market. They are not, they typically tend to not be early adopters and innovators. So you've got to find those early adopter innovators that actually will take that technology, not just electric vehicles, but everything else in the ecosystem, and then prove it out before everyone else says, aha, they've done it, I'm going to follow and jump on board. So that is building as we speak, um, but it, it's a natural evolution of new product and innovative products being brought to market that we're going through right now. 
but we're right on the cusp of, I'll call it that, tornadic activity. No, really good point. So, um, guys, we're out of time. Um, and and when we were doing the prep for this session yesterday, there was one other bullet point we were going to cover about putting sustainable habits and environment to the forefront of your company's objectives. And I think, Wolfgang, you said, that's a big topic. And I said, well, let's see whether we get to it. And we never got to it. Um, so I think that's probably what we're going to have to park for a, a future discussion. Um, but I, I do think you know, all of you have added a really good, rich perspective here in terms of what can be done, what examples are of, of organizations that are doing this. But also, there's a lot to do. And there's a lot of still, you know, building and infrastructure needed as we go this forward. So uh, I'd really like to thank the three of you, Wolfgang, Steve, and uh, Garrett, for your contributions today. I'd also th like to thank the audience. I mean, the, the level of chat and questions coming was great. Uh, Eshwar, as usual, put about 25 questions in there. I'll never answer them all of Eshwar, so apologies for that. But thank you for, for the questions you put through. That was great. Um, and I know Eshwar has one of these mugs, because I've, I might have two already. But I think uh, for someone who came with a couple of new questions, and the new uh, person was, was Ashley, Ashley Francis Privatera. So I think, uh, Ashley, we need to make sure we get that mug across to you as soon as we can, uh, supply chain permitting, and try and deliver it in a very sustainable way and make sure that someone walks to your door and delivers it to you so that there isn't a van turning up and dropping it off. I'm not sure we're good enough at our supply chains yet to do that. But, uh, but that would be great to see that. Um, but actually, yeah, Wolfgang, Garrett, Steve, thank you very much. Thanks to the audience for this. Um, next week's um, supply chain talk is on increasing inventory visibility across your supply chain. So we're going to be dropping into inventory visibility and how you track that all the way through. So that should be another very interesting topic. But in the meantime, um, guys, thanks very much for your contribution. It's been an excellent discussion today. And thanks to the audience for watching today. Thank you.